Okay, this is uh, Professor Tufano. Um, so I think I'm going to break up this chapter and probably the remaining chapters into maybe three parts. So I stopped the first part. So this is um, Interplay, the Process of Interpersonal Communication, 13th edition. And we're on chapter one, the Foundations of Interpersonal Communication. And uh, I'm on page uh, 14. And I think we stopped, um, and I'll just kind of back up a little bit in case, in case I'm, I'm, uh, I'm out of sync a little bit. But communication can be intentional or unintentional. I think we covered that. Communication is irreversible. Communication is unrepeatable. Communication has a content and relation, relation, relational dimension. And, um, and then, uh, so I think we already covered those in the first section. So I think we'll start off with, uh, on page 15 for this part, we'll call this maybe part two, and I think there'll probably be a part three, but at least two parts. So characteristics of inter interpersonal communication it's impossible to talk about interpersonal communication without discussion, discussing relationships. And so, as we just noted, every exchange, even the most mundane, has a relational dimension. Visualize a brief conversation you recently had with a cashier at a checkout counter. Was it friendly or indifferent? Rushed or leisurely? Did the clerk seem genuinely helpful or superficial and mechanical? In every case, the messages exchanged between you and the cashier created and reflected some sort of relationship. In more meaningful relationships, communication is distinctive and nuanced, more personal. So, um, characteristics of interpersonal communication. So, four features distinguish communication in highly interpersonal relationships from less personal ones. The first is uniqueness. The second is interdependence. The third is self-disclosure. And the fourth is intrinsic reward. So on page 16, figure 1.2, on the left, there's an arrow that says highly impersonal. And then to the right is highly interpersonal. So, of course, you uh, understanding the difference between impersonal and interpersonal. So impersonal, scheduling appointment, answering a phone survey, highly interpersonal, the marriage proposal, asking forgiveness, those kind of things. So according to the book, there are four features that distinguish communication in highly interpersonal relationships from less personal. Uniqueness. Whereas impersonal exchanges are ritualized and governed by social rules, interpersonal exchanges are shaped by nature and the history of a particular relationship. Second is interdependence. Highly interpersonal communication exchanges reveal that the fate of the partners is connected you might be able to brush off anger, affection, excitement, or depression of someone with whom you share an impersonal relationship, such as a restaurant waiter or waitress, but in interpersonal relationships, the other's life affects you. Makes sense? And uh, thirdly, we talk about um, self-disclosure that distinguishes interpersonal communication from impersonal exchanges. So... Um, in impersonal exchanges, we reveal very little about ourselves, but interpersonal exchanges often include sharing important thoughts and feelings and reflect the communicator's comfort with one another. This doesn't mean that all highly interpersonal relationships are warm or caring, 
or that all self-disclosure is positive. It's impossible to reveal negative, excuse me, it's possible to reveal negative personal information, such as, I really hate you when you do that. But note, you'd probably say that, say that to only someone with whom you have an interpersonal relationship. And then uh, lastly, fourth, a feature that distinguishes interpersonal from impersonal is intrinsic rewards. Communicators in relationships characterized by in, impersonal exchanges seek extrinsic rewards, whereas in highly interpersonal relationships, such as friendships, because of the intrinsic rewards that come from your communication, those are, are, are more um, focused on intrinsic rewards. Just being with the other person is reward enough in some cases. So we're going to move on to uh, page 17 and talk about communication misconceptions. And so here, is a, here are a few of them. Not all communication seeks understanding. More communication is not always better. Communication will not solve all problems. Effective communication is not a natural ability. So those are communication misconceptions. Okay, so first, not all communication seeks understanding. Most people operate on a flawed assumption that the goal of all communication is to maximize understanding between communicators. Uh, well, if you go to Twitter or you go to, um, I don't know, maybe um, in Facebook or maybe in YouTube, some of the comment section, you could certainly see that um, that's not true, that uh, most people uh, don't, at least in those forums, um, use communication to maximize understanding. Sometimes they just use it to um, bully people, to uh, criticize or judge people, or to threaten people even. But it says here, um, although um, some understanding is necessary for us to coordinate our interactions, there are some types of communication in which understanding, as we usually conceive it, isn't the primary goal. Consider the social rituals we enact every day, such as how's it going or how you doing, and even if someone's not doing well or they're doing poorly, they'll just say, oh, I'm good, how are you? And I mean, just basic uh, interactions, uh, greeting interactions. Uh, attempts to in influence others. A quick analysis of most television commercials showed they're aimed at persuading viewers to buy their products. And then they talk about deliberate ambiguity and deception. When you decline an unwanted invitation by saying, I can't make it, you probably want to create the impression that this decision is really beyond your control. Instead of saying, maybe I don't want to get together, in fact, I'd rather do almost anything else but to accept an invitation from you. Uh, here's another one. More communication is not always better. Whereas a failure to communicate effectively can certainly cause problems, too much talking uh, can also be a mistake. So sometimes, um, especially when you may be frustrated or you may be in conflict mode with someone, uh, oftentimes we, we confuse the idea that the reason that we don't have agreement is because we haven't explained ourselves enough or we haven't talked enough about it. And that is a, uh, a major misconception. Uh, sometimes um, just listening and then agreeing to take some time out to uh, think about the um, ideas, especially the ideas that you're in conflict with, is much better than talking yourself into a hole or making the situation worse. More and more negative communication merely leads to more and more negative results, and oftentimes during conflict that happens. 
There are even times when no interaction is the best course. When two people are angry or hurt, they may say things they don't mean and will later regret. In some cases, it's best to let things cool off. The next one says communication will not solve all problems. Uh, for example, imagine if you asked one of your teachers to explain why you received a poor grade on a project because you deserved, uh, you believe deserved better marks. The professor can clearly outline the reasons that you received a low grade and sticks to the position even after listening to your protests. So has communication solved the problem? Hardly. The next one, or the last one, says effective communication is not a natural ability. Most people assume that communication is something that people can do without the need for training, rather like breathing. Although nearly everyone does manage to function passably without much formal communication training, most people operate at a level of effectiveness far below their potential. So it is true that uh, learning communication skills, reading about ways to improve communication, and having people in your lives that you can uh, both learn from each other and people that are patient enough to work through the, uh, the parts of uh, the times when we're ineffective um, at communicating. Okay, now we're going to move on to communication competence. It says, what does it take to communicate better? And that is a good question that people often ask. So what exactly is a good communicator? So if you asked yourself, am I a good communicator, how would you answer that question? And to answer it, you probably would need some, some test or some way to measure good, better, or best when it comes to communication. So the book uses this uh, definition of, they call it communication competence. And although there's no perfect way to define it, uh, here's a couple of ways. Uh, it says that most people, most researchers agree that to be a competent communicator, you should be both effective and appropriate. Effective and appropriate. So in cases um, where you're dealing with um, maybe, say, an unwanted imitation or, say, you're communicating about a friend's annoying behavior, um, in, in those cases, effective communication um, really has to do with what results you're looking for. What, what do you want to get out of it? Appropriate communication would do so in a way that, in most cases, enhances the relationship in which the communication occurs. So you can appreciate the importance of both appropriateness and effectiveness by imagining approaches that would satisfy one but not the other. Effectiveness without appropriateness uh, may leave both parties unhappy. So it is a, an interesting way to define communicate, communicative competence and uh, both effective as a communicator and appropriate as a communicator. Uh, here's uh, another way to define it. As far as competence, there's no single or ideal or effective way to communicate. And since um, relationships are negotiated and communication is used in the process of negotiating um, good relationships or just even functioning relationships, there is no ideal or perfect way to communicate. There, are may, there may be better ways in certain contexts, um, but... Uh, since relationships are negotiated, behavior within relationships is, are, is negotiated, and communication is one kind of behavior that we negotiate in relationships. So um, sometimes you could be surprised that people that you may think don't communicate very well seem to have a loving, caring, stable uh, relationship. And sometimes the opposite could be true. People that appear to be really effective and appropriate at communication may not have a very close 
um, relationship. It says here, flexibility is an important part of communicating, and I think that that is true, but I think that's also part of accommodating, um, um, compromising, accommodating, negotiating. I think flexibility is, is, an, is, a, um, is a good characteristic of good communication. It says comp- competence is situational. Because competent behavior varies so much from one situation to one person to another, it's a mistake to think that communication competence is a trait that a person possesses or lacks. It's more accurate to talk about degrees or areas of competence. Some people are really competent at work, and what's expected at work may be easy to understand, especially maybe in the customer service arena, but maybe at home uh, people um, can't aren't as effective or competent at home, but they're more competent at work, or maybe the inverse is true, that at work they're not very effective, but at home they are. So the context um, does matter, the situation does matter. And then it says competence can be learned. To some degree, biology is destiny when it comes to communication competence, but some researchers suggest that certain personality traits predispose people towards particular communication and competence skills. So it can be learned. Uh, For some people, it may be more or less natural, maybe because they grew up in a uh, nuclear family where uh, people demonstrated their care for for each other with um, competent and effective caring um, communication, and they basically just modeled it, and they picked it up and learned it. Okay, on page 21, we're moving on to characteristics of competent communication. Despite the fact that competent communication varies from one situation to another, Scholars have identified several common denominators that characterize effective communication in most contexts. A large repertoire of skills. The chances of reaching your personal relational goals increase with the number of options you have on how to communicate. For example, if you want to start a conversation with a stranger, all it might take to get the conversation ball rolling is a self-introduction. In other cases, uh, seeking assistance may work. Hey, I've just moved here. Uh, I'm from out of town. I think you could help me. And sometimes that may work. Another strategy um, may be, um, a third strategy is to ask a question about a situational feature, feature, such as, I've never heard this band before. Do you know anything about them? Um, Those are kind of um, startups, ways to kind of um, uh, draw people in to um, have a conversation. Adaptability, have a large repertoire of possible behaviors, is one ingredient of competent communication, but you have to be able to choose the right one for the particular situation. Another one is the ability to perform skillfully. Once you've chosen the appropriate way to communicate, you have to perform the behavior effectively. The next one is involvement. Not surprisingly, effective communication occurs when people people care about one another and the topic that they're discussing. Another one is empathy perspective-taking. I like this one a lot. People have the best chance of developing an effective message when they understand and empathize with the other person's point of view. Because others aren't always good at expressing their thoughts and feelings clearly, the ability to imagine how an issue may look from another person's perspective suggests why empathy is an important communication skill. And of course, it's not enough to just take another's perspective. It's vital to communicate that understanding through verbal and nonverbal responses. I think that's a really important one. That's page 23. If you can, spend a little bit more time trying to understand empathy perspective-taking. Cognitive complexity. 
self-monitoring, and then um, we'll talk about um, um, cognitive, uh, excuse me, c communication apprehension. So it says, um, it's worth noting that interpersonal competence isn't always just a matter of having the necessary will and skill. Sometimes it can be hindered by communication apprehension. That's the feelings of anxiety that arise in an unfamiliar or difficult communication context. How does your behavior as an interpersonal communicator uh, measure up against the standards of competence described in the, in earlier on in the chapter? Like most people, you'll probably find some area of your life that you are very satisfied in others which you would like to change. And hopefully as you read the book, you'll, and I said this, I think, in the introduction, um, read the entire book and try to uh, understand it, take notes about it. And if you find something that interests you, intrigues you, go deeper with it. Uh, go on the internet and try to find uh, more information. The good thing about this textbook is that they have a lot of good references in the back that the author uses to defend their perspectives and ideas within each chapter. So if you see a name, a last name in parentheses, and a date, you can go to the back of the book in the reference section and actually look up that reference. And that's another way to expand your understanding and knowledge of these ideas. Okay, well, I'm going to move on to social media and interpersonal communication. Obviously, this is a newer chapter. I don't know if it was in the um, 12th edition. It definitely was in the 11th edition because that would take us back about 10 years. But um, until a generation ago, face-to-face -face communication was essential to starting and maintaining most, if not all, interpersonal relationships. Other channels existed, the telephone but in some cases, long-distance rates were expensive and the technology was less than perfect. Um, but nonetheless, interpersonal communication seemed to require close proximity, uh, close physical proximity. Of course, most of you have grown up in an age, the um, technological age, and you've had um, easy and instant access to reaching and communicating with other people. It uh, obviously hasn't always been that way. If you get some time, I would um, definitely do some research on what communication was like prior to 1970, just to, um, just to kind of um, give you a perspective on, on uh, the differences and how it's changed in the uh, short term in the last 40, 50 years. It says that um, <clears throat> um, two things are different um, currently. Obviously, face-to-face -face communication is still important, but technology plays a key role in starting and maintaining relationships. The term that collectively describes all channels that make remote personal communication possible is social media. And again, this version of the book is probably five, six years old, so even that definition is way outdated. And they talk about social networking, and of course, most of you would know MySpace and then Facebook. Um, you would know that. Characteristics of social media. In many ways, mediated and face-to-face -face communication are similar. Both includes the same elements described in the chapter. You have a message, you have channels, you have noise, etc. Both are used to satisfy the same physical identity, social and practical needs we talked about. Uh, despite the similarities in communication, social media differs from the in-person in some important ways. So we'll talk about leanness, and we'll talk about um, different types of synchronicity. And we'll talk about uh, permanence, okay, leanness. Social scientists use the term uh, richness to describe the abundance of nonverbal cues that add clarity to a message. So obviously, if you talk to someone in person, there is an, a richness 
about that because there's an abundance of nonverbal communication and uh, cues to be able to help interpret the message. Conversely, leanness describes a message that carries less information due to a lack of nonverbal cues. So if you look at, there's a figure at the bottom of page 26 that I think is a, a really effective um, visual on this idea of leaner or richer communication. And to the left, we have texting, and all the way to the right, we have the richest, which is in-person, face-to-face interaction. So it is the richest meaning. It has the most available verbal access to verbal cues that, that bring clarity to a verbal message. You take away the the um, the nonverbal uh, cues that are communicated with body language, particularly facial expressions, eyes, face, and micro expressions, and it makes uh, understanding communication a lot more complicated. So the idea of leanness and richness are two very important um, concepts to to think about when it comes to uh, the various channels that we use to communicate to one another. So obviously in-person face-to-face is the most rich and the most lean probably would be texting. That's why it's easy to have all sorts of silly arguments about misunderstood texting. And so my advice if you're taking notes is only use texting to communicate some very basic kind of uh, requests and, and needs. If there's anything that has to do with relationship building or relational maintenance other than, hi, how you doing? Uh, do not try to resolve conflict using your texting machines. If there's any type of, of uh, interpersonal conflict, I would just say, okay, let's catch up in person uh, when I see you and just make that your standard go-to message and avoid um, uh, swearing or cussing or using um, profanity um, because the things that you write in texts you can't really delete and so uh, you should you should just say if you're frustrated angry those kind of things I would just say hey let's catch up later let's t- let's talk about this in person you'll save yourself a lot of uh, silly uh, dumb type of arguments about what you meant and what you didn't mean and uh, you'll also have uh, much deeper connections with uh, the people that you like and the people that like you. Okay, so then uh, what are we going to talk about? Um, synchronicity um, in communication. Um, now let's move on to permanence. There's a good chart on page 29, table 1.1, characteristics of communication channels that I, that I think is very good. So take a look at that if you can. Let's talk about permanence. What happens in face-to-face conversation is transitory. By contrast, the text and video you send via hard copy can't be, can be stored indefinitely and forwarded to others. The permanence of digital messages can be a plus, but they can also be a, a negative. And at least in my experience, um, I think they're used mostly in a negative. So as I just previously said, um, don't uh, put down in writing mean and hurtful things especially if you care for somebody. Uh, if you think you need to say something hard, then schedule a meeting face-to-face and then, then have it that way. Sometimes people expect um, texts and they don't get them and they wonder why they're not getting them and sometimes they get an abundance of them and they, they feel like they're being inundated 
um, with uh, um, attempts for a person to um, have to respond. So you have to you have to manage expectations when you have relationships, even in regards to your expectations about texting and emailing and Facebooking and messaging and DMing and all that stuff. So in good relationships, um, you do the best you can to discuss those differences and negotiate and accommodate and compromise to find the place that works best for both parties. Social media and relational quality. At first glance, social media may seem inferior to face-to-face communication. As noted earlier, it lacks rich array of nonverbal cues that are, that are available in person. One observer put it this way, email is a way to stay in touch, but you can't share a coffee or a beer with somebody via email or give them a hug. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. One study found that the mere presence of a mobile device during face-to-face discussions has a negative effect on closeness, connection, and conversation quality. So when you're uh, having face-to-face conversations, is your phone faced up and are you looking at it? Are you texting or are you not paying attention to the person? So, um, all right, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, um, these are kind of 2010, 2011 citations about um, uh, texting and using social media and communicating electronically and um, how they disrupt um, uh, deep interpersonal relationships. I mean, they're a way to keep up to date with information in a lot of cases, and sometimes being up to date on information is good. So, hey, this is what happened today, this is what happened last week. But when it comes to feelings, emotions, and, and ways that you can develop closeness with another person, um, in a lot of cases, the electronic communication uh, either makes it uh, more difficult to maintain uh, close and intimate relationships or it has no positive effect. It could be either or. Okay, on page 30 it says communicating competently with social media and then give you a couple of ideas. Be careful what you post. Be considerate. Respect others' needs for undivided attention. Keep your tone civil. Uh, be mindful of bystanders, which is good, and balance mediated and FaceTime. So be a quick scan of social networking pages shows that many users post text and images about themselves that could provide embarrassing, uh, that could prove embarrassing. So just be careful um, what you post and if it's private um, and those kind of things. Uh, be considerate. Communication by social media calls for its own rules and comp- competencies, which refer to netiquette. That's an interesting word. Respect others' needs for, for undivided attention. Some people have to have complete focus on them uh, when you're communicating others. It could be somewhat divided. It just depends upon the relationship and the people involved. Keep your tone civil. It just makes sense not to communicate anything uncivil um, in a text or in an email or, or something that has what, what the book describes as permanence. And then be mindful of bystanders because people around you may also be observing the things that you're texting um, and maybe um, you, you know being able to see it or maybe you're talking out loud as you're texting. Those kind of things would so be careful. And then it says balance mediated time with face-to-face time. I know on uh, my devices they give you screen time. I don't know if it's weekly or whatever it is. But it's uh, interesting when uh, it tells you how much time that you've spent on the screen and maybe compare that to your interpersonal time face to face. So those are just a couple of ideas. Okay, so that is um, 
that is an overview of Chapter 1, the interpersonal process, which is the foundations of interpersonal communication. So I also recommend that you uh, look at, at every chapter when you complete it. Go through the back of the chapter. It says check your understanding and then have key terms and activities. So do the best you can to scan that and then uh, dig a little bit deeper and then also share what you've learned with your significant other. And especially if you're in a place where you would like to create a better relationship with that person, especially if it's a romantic interpersonal relationship, especially if you live in the same house and, uh, and uh, you kind of are uh, connected, um, you're interde interdependent, and uh, you have strong feelings for the person, um, you know, share what you're learning and maybe point to some things. Just don't be uh, judgmental and be critical and say, there, see, that's you right there. You don't do this. You don't do that. Don't do that. So if you do it, make sure you check your motives. But it would be good to say, hey, this is what I learned about that, and then see if they're interested in knowing more. But please don't beat up your partner with all the wisdom that you'll be gaining over the semester because that will backfire. Okay. It's Professor Tofano, and that was Chapter 1.